here if the party's still going, no problem. But please get them at 9 o'clock. And so um, we are going to get one last chance right at this moment to bless and honor Leif Hetland. Thank you so much, and God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Just wave to me and smile for a few moments. Wow, look at all of you beautiful people. There's a few exceptions, but uh, no. Nah. <laughs> Just a joke. How many of you, uh, I didn't get to see, but how many of you have not been to any of the sessions so far this weekend. It's just because, I, okay, that's very good. It's about one-third. And the reason is I, uh, I don't want to repeat the other sessions, but I do also feel that some of the things we have done is also building something this weekend. And I wanted to kind of connect us a little bit together and just uh, share a little bit about my heart first of all. Uh, for some of you who do not know me, uh, I am from the country of Norway. And uh, I... I yeah, that's a very beautiful place, by the way. <laughs> Live in the city of Atlanta. I have a beautiful wife named Jennifer. We've been married for almost 25 years, and we have four kids, or they are older, and one son-in-law. My daughter is Mary. Uh, so my son is 24, a daughter that is 21, a daughter that is 20, and one that is 17. So, uh, so you just keep me in prayer. <laughs> Uh, the next season of life is grandkids. Uh, but, but the beautiful story is just that how Papa, uh, he took a Norwegian kid from a little place called Haugesund, Norway. And, and God had some special uh, calling over my life. I didn't know it. Uh, but even before the foundation on the world, there was something unique. And I'm, I've shared that. There's something unique about each one of us. And this is part of my message. Each one of us are carrying something that 7.2 billion people in this world is just waiting to be able to see manifested. And many times the enemy knows about it and he's very nervous. And he is a thief who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And one of the things he's nervous about is destiny. But I want to remind you that uh, God will not treat you in behalf of your history, but your destiny. And there is a destiny over your life. And uh, part of my journey that I've shared with some of the people that has been here, uh, God, uh, when he started, uh, even actually when I was conceived, the enemy tried to kill me when I was in my mother's womb. Through my, there was actually, my mom had to do a major surgery. And during that time period, she didn't know she was pregnant. So I was actually reborn when there was fear. And she was fearful that she had lost me. This was back in 1965 when they didn't have a lot of the technology. And, but even later on in life, it seems like the enemy knew very clearly that there was an assignment over my life. And sometimes when there's an assignment, and that's what I believe with each one of you, if we had the time together, we've already done that with some of you, there's something unique, something special. And often that's why the devil is trying to kill all the baby boys because Moses, the deliverer, is coming. That's why he's going after all the baby boys because Jesus, the Savior, is coming. So when you are stepping into the scene, so my question is sometimes is, who were you before the foundation of the world? 
Who were you in the mind of God when he created the earth? And, and who were you even before you were in your mother's womb? Because according to Psalm 139, even before you were in your mother's womb, he knew you. So who did he know before you were conceived? And I mentioned that the first day that uh, 50 million sperm cells. All of them on the race towards a dropping egg cell. And you won the race. And congratulations, you started out as a winner. And that's a very good starting point. And a starting point is very, very important in life. So, so I'm saying that just as a, as a clear thing. And, and within each one of us also, I just want to remind you that you were born an original, so don't die a copy. Uh, don't try to be anybody else. Because everybody else is occupied. <laughs> and, and the biggest weapon that the enemy has, he's trying to steal people's identity. Say the word identity. And there's been a major identity theft taking place in the kingdom of God. And he's trying to stop you for being who you're supposed to be. And what you're called to be. And what God created you to be. Many of us, we have had a picture that Jesus came and he came here because you, you were not very valuable. But what I mentioned is that Jesus didn't die on the cross to make you valuable. He died on the cross because you are valuable. The father sent his only begotten son to come down into this earth to be able to restore you back to glory. What sin, sin made you fall short of glory. But the purpose for God was glory. What well, sin was make you fall short of the glory of God. And there is glory within each one of you. And part of my assignment is to restore people's identity. Say the identity. Amen. The second thing that the enemy has been after, he's been after in your life. He's been an after here in California, in America, and around the world. He is trying to devalue people. He loves to devalue people. And that's one of the reasons I'm on an assignment to tell people how valuable they are. Some of them are struggling with it. And a part of the impartation that we did last night was just a look from Papa that is just looking straight in and telling you how valuable you are. And, and this is very, very important because uh, as you're starting to get the revelation how valuable they are, you can start to add value to the people around you. You can give everybody... An upgrade when you walk into the room, if you know your value. And I'm just giving a little repetition of a couple of different revelations that I've given so far. And uh, so here is the major thing. The enemy who comes to kill, steal, and destroy, Jesus came to give you life and life more abundantly. So there's a life more abundantly that Jesus came to give. And that's part of my assignment is to release that life and life more abundantly that he has for your life. Is that okay? Yeah. A life and a life of overflow. And uh, so, the, so the second thing he's trying to, so what I'm interested in is to see your identity. Say identity. Yeah. Second of all, to be restored is dignity. Say dignity. Yeah. That means restoring your value back again. So when you are looking in the mirror, you are seeing what God sees. Your view of God is totally reflected how you see yourself. And how you see yourself is how you see the world. And how you see the world is how you see the future. 
So if you have love glasses and when you're seeing a father that is smiling, and I want to be honest with you, the God that I was raised up with, I actually was kind of a little bit nervous. I didn't like God a whole lot. I believe that God was pretty bipolar of nature. <laughs> he seems to be in this mood swing. And it was all up to me to please him. And when I did the right things, then he was smiling. But if not, he turned his back towards me because he was a holy God. He couldn't handle mess. And then it was all up to me to either beg or, or, or run to Jesus, come to the cross. But the cross never took me home. So I was actually an orphan with an orphan spirit going to heaven. But I didn't know how to get heaven to me. And I realize that is not just me. It's all over the world. Actually, the root of Islam, what you're seeing in all over the Muslim world, is that God cannot be a father and he cannot have a son. So Ishmael was rejected by his father. The root that is there, and there's 99 different attributes for Allah in the Al-Quran. The only thing that is missing, and everybody, every Muslim, this is a mystery for Muslims. What is the hundredth name of God, nobody would say you to talk about it, but I know what it is. It is love. And they cannot even talk about it because if you communicate that, that we're lowering Allah down to human level. But one thing that you can do is when perfect love leaks into the atmosphere, then perfect love takes away all fear. And love is the language the blind eyes can see and the deaf ears can hear. So I am just saying that as a foundation for some of the things that I believe that God is doing here. He's doing here in this culture. One of the reasons I'm here to invest is to give you your identity back, but also your dignity back. The third thing I mentioned is also dreams. Say dreams. dreams. Hope defer makes the heart sick. But when you start to desire again and dream again, it is the tree of life. Uh, last time I was here, I had my armor buried. He is a spiritual son, a year older than me. And he is just like Jonathan was to David. I mean, for nine years, he's been traveling with me all over the world. And, and we are as close as we can, uh, as two people can be together. But right now, as I talked to him on the phone before the meeting, he is fighting with stage four cancer. The cancer is spread everywhere. And there's nothing he can do in the natural. He's gone to the doctor, but chemotherapy cannot work or, or, or radiation. Nothing is working for Todd right now. But in the middle of everything that is going on, I was just telling Todd, Todd, I want you to know I'm very disappointed with you if you don't show up because I scheduled for a meeting in fall of 2014. And, and it's less than 1% chance that he can live six months. So I'm making sure I schedule meetings after that. Where he's on the posters. I, I, I am not doing that to humiliate him. I am just showing him there because I was there with a the tumor myself. And when I was laying there and they say, you're going to die. And I lost 46 pounds. And they cut me open. I said, I cannot die. Because there is still, I was supposed to see a million Muslims coming to Jesus. And I have not seen it yet. When I was sitting in a wheelchair and I couldn't walk and broken neck, broken back and surgeries or nine months in a body cast, I said, well, I'm sorry, but I, I still, I cannot stay here. It doesn't matter what the diagnosis says. It doesn't matter what pain says. It doesn't matter that 11 years in opiates and medication for pain. I have to get out of here because there's a calling over my life. There's a dream over my life. There's something powerful for people when they start to dream with God. 
And there's a lot of things right now in your life or even in this community or in California right now that is in heaven that God wants to see here on earth. And all he is looking for is sons and daughters that are coming into an agreement that have their identity. They know how valuable they are. But they also start into coming into community, into covenant relationships. And they start to dream with God. So congratulations. You're born for such a time as this. The greatest time that the world has ever seen. You're living during that time. I, I don't know if you're realizing the time that you are living in, but you're living in a time when the kingdom of the Lord is about to become the kingdom of this world and he is going to rule and reign forever. You're living in a time when he is pouring out his spirit upon all flesh. You're living on a time when you're seeing the glory of God is hovering over the whole earth as water covered the sea. And I could stand here and give you 240 scripture verses of just the time that you're living in. And the people that understand, say understand. The people that understand the time, they will always invest their time, talent, and treasure right. When they understand the Kairos moment. But if you have a perspective and you're looking at the world now based upon your view of God, based upon how you believe God sees you, now you look at the world and you're like, oh, it's getting hard, it's getting difficult. Oh, Jesus, come, come. While you're asking Jesus to come, he's saying, go church, go. Because when you are going, I'm coming. And he's not going to come before you go. And the calling is actually to go and disciple nations, not just people. So part of the assignment in this season is so tremendous. And I'm just setting up this beautiful foundation. And that is say Identity. God is restoring your identity. Second of all, he's restoring your dignity. Say dignity. And number three is dreams. Say dreams. There's things that is in heaven that God wants to see here on earth. And that is calling dreaming with God. So there's things right now with the Philippines. Like I mentioned just right before the meeting, I was connected with people and say, is there somebody there in Texas that can fill up in a 40-foot container all the hospital that is needed? Because we have a couple of places where we need hospitals. And there's actually close to 2 million people that has been affected by this crisis. I was there in the Philippines when this hit, when the typhoon hit. We were in the Laguna province and spent 21 days. But when in the middle of all of those different things, it, every crisis is an opportunity to demonstrate the goodness and the kindness of God. And we overcome evil by good. And the goodness of God leads to mass repentance. When the people are recognizing who he is by looking at his sons and daughters. That's why creation right now is just moaning and groaning for the very manifestations of the sons and daughters of God. Where are the sons? Where are the daughters? That's the cry of the earth. What's going on in Syria? It's the cry. Where are the Daniels? The problem is not the Saddam Husseins. The problem is not Mubarak. The problem is not what you're seeing is going on. Is we didn't have a Joseph. We didn't have a Nehemiah. We didn't have Esther's invested into those cultures that could influence those cultures. But we're learning to be wiser as we're moving into the future. That's why I am investing in and I'm raising up right now all over the world a dream culture where people are dreaming with God. And I got the joy of experimenting with about 400 people. Started with two people seven and a half years ago. As I was burned out, ended up in a treatment center in California. And I know that makes some people nervous, but I got some issues. 
I'm walking with a limp. But yeah, actually, eight years ago, I ended up in a treatment center after 11 years of opiates because of all the pain and all the surgery and everything else. And when I came out of that treatment center, I didn't know how to do anything any longer because the doctor says, you cannot travel, you cannot do what you're doing without opiates, without medication. But it's been over eight years right now. Every single day I wake up in the morning and, whoa! Uh, Because I have a dream. I have a dream. And by the way, you are included in my dream. That's why I'm here. So the second type of dream that I wanted to connect here, and all of this is setting the stage because I had about 10, 15 minutes to warm up my voice. I know that the children are coming in by nine, but I felt I want to connect the rest of the body to what I believe is going to be my message for tonight. But the second dream is called desire. Say desire. desire. Say it again. Say desire. desire. This is a very powerful thing. Let me just remind you. You are going to enjoy a God that is enjoying you. Let me say that again. When you are finding out the enjoyment that Papa God has in you, you're going to start to enjoy being with him. And God is actually changing the believer's worldview. And if the message, there are several messages in my heart. But one of the story I want just to share to connect with this very thing. Uh, and it's going to also connect a little bit to what I put together. It became a life verse. When I came out of treatment center, and after about five months of not being able to do anything, so crippled by pain, no medication, having a worldwide ministry, but couldn't even go on an airplane without opiates. Couldn't sleep, couldn't do anything, and totally helpless. And in that uh, situation, uh, Papa God started on a journey because one of the things that I learned, he dealt with a root fear in my life. I don't know if you have a root fear in your life. For some people, it is to get poor. Some it is to be lonely. Some is to lose it all. You cannot, when, when people are saying, hey, we're going to kill you. I say, you cannot kill a dead person. I died in California seven and a half years ago, almost eight years ago. That's when I became totally free. I became free in California in a treatment center. It was supposed to be a pain clinic for Christian leaders. Instead, it became a drug and alcohol rehab center run by homosexuals. <laughs> by the way, that's a good place to die. And I'm not saying anything in a negative way. I'm just saying that for me, I would have known the language if it was a Christian setting. But in an accident, I ended up in a wrong treatment center. And I was locked up. And my roommate was bipolar, crack addict. They wanted to kill me. That's a good place when you... And I want, you to, I want you to know, no, that's, that's not the case. I want you to know, here's, here's the setting. The setting is that the anointing was so strong the week before I entered into a treatment center. It was December 2nd, 2005, because deception is very deceiving. As long as the anointing was there, I could go on. And that's why I didn't stop beforehand. But I didn't realize some of the things that you're doing here is learning how to be real. And that's what I want to be with you. I want to be real with you so that you can be real and receive real help so that love can go into the deepest root area of fear in your life. But did you know that the root fear in my life was one simple thing, losing the anointing? 
I didn't know it before then. But December 2nd, 2005, the dove flew away and I was left with pigeons. No presents. And for the next five months, night and day, I cried out to God. And when you go to some of the places that I go, I couldn't go anywhere. I didn't know how to do anything. And that's when I realized how much I need His presence. And if I have His presence, I have everything. But if I don't have His presence and I have everything, I absolutely have nothing. And that's when I understood when I came out of there and the dove came back again after five months and landed on me and I could feel the presence of God back. And for the first time in five months, I could hear His voice. For the first time in five months, I could see His face. For the first time in five months, I could feel His love. I could experience His presence and then living in His pleasure. The pleasure of Papa God. And I could hear His voice again and says. You're my beloved son, Leif, whom I love and whom I am well pleased. It didn't matter if the wolf was saying anything. I knew what my papa says about me. I know he is pleased with me. I know that when my papa is looking at me, I've seen the look. And when he looks at me, it changes the way that I look at myself, the way I look at you, the way I look at Islam. When I look at Islam, is it a problem or is it a promise? It depends how you see it. What kind of glasses you have on. If it is a problem, you're going to try to achieve something. If it is a promise, you can only receive a promise. And I'm sharing this story up to because the dove was there. And when the dove was there, atmospheres was changing. And that's what's taking place all over the world. But the dove, I was so sensitive to the Holy Spirit and the dove. And I still remember the season that the way I walked... And the way I talked and the way I looked had all to do with the awareness of the dove. I didn't want to do anything to offend the presence. And I was so aware of the presence of God. And, and it's like, Holy Spirit, you're my best friend. When you are there, everything is going to be okay. And I don't know if you've been there, but I tell you something, it changes everything. Whoa! When the presence of God is there and you're suddenly walking into an arena where we were just a little over a year ago and suddenly there was 22,000 people in a place that for 2,000 years there's never been one believer. Not one church, not one missionary has ever been in that region and that area. And we went into that area and to see all the opposition and everything that hell was trying to do and, and how... You were locked up in a room and the guns and the machine guns and the bombings and the killings that was going on. And I was like... Uh, but at that moment, as I say, when the dove is there, everything is okay. Because I can hear his voice. I can see his face. I can feel his love. And I'm experiencing his presence. And in that, everything is okay. So I'm saying desire was the word. Desire is the word of the Father in Latin. I don't know if you got that. Desire. Of the Father. You delight yourself in me. When you have this here. Now. I give you the desire of your heart. Hi little boy. Hi little girl. What would you like? 
And now you should just start to flow. And that's called desire. Now you start to pull heaven towards you through desire. And that is when God starts to dream with his sons and daughters. There's one dream is when you start to dream with God. The second dream is when God starts to dream with us. And of the Father starts to be fulfilled. And it is put in our hearts. And we can pull heaven down. So I'm saying that this has been step one. One of the first thing is started with two people. And they've been here. At least Paul has been here from the Philippines. When I came out of the treatment center, I was with my friend Bill Johnson and Randy Clark, and we were doing a healing school together, and that's when I met these two Filipinos at Hosanna Lutheran Church. It was the first time I ministered after I came out of treatment center, and that's when I met these two Filipinos, and they came up to me and said, would you be our spiritual papa? Would you be our daddy? And I'm like, I have enough problems, I was thinking. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to be a son. Because in treatment center, when I, when I came into treatment center, I was a son. And I had a sonship. But I also had an apostleship. I had a leadership. I had discipleship. I had stewardship. I had all these other ships. <laughs> but every ship got shipwrecked. And the only ship that survived was sonship. And that's the only thing I was left with. And that's when the dove came up on that little boat. And then all the other big ships have to follow that little boat called Sun Ship. And whoever gets the pitch of the sun gets everything. That was the ship that Jesus had. So here was the journey. Two Filipino came in, and now I'm going to set up the stage. Two Filipino came into my life, and I didn't understand at that time it is significant because I was in a kind of a crisis situation. I was just invited, and for me, it's like, God, I need some breakthrough and open doors because I've been away from ministry for a while, and there's people that don't want me because I'm kind of like a leper. I mean, I just came from treatment center. Opiates addiction. That's very nice on your resume, <laughs> especially in ministry. And especially when, well, how long have you been out of treatment center? Well, two weeks. <laughs> people get a little nervous around people like that. It's like, are you going to have any relapse? 98% of the people will. So uh, let's check it out. But what God did is I did not know how to be a son on that kind of a level. I had been a son. So God gave me a spiritual son in a conference. I would never have been smart enough. Over 3,000 people there, two Filipinos. There was a group of Asians that saw some of my old videos from some of the Muslim world from Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates. I took videos from different places. And when they watched this, they just wept. They had all been missionaries. They'd been fishing all night, getting very little. And at that moment, when they saw it, they just started to weep. And then they said, can you pray for us? And they went down. And the power of God just started to touch them. And all of them ended up and two of those Filipinos stood up, Paul and Almira, and they showed me their hands and it was just oil flowing out of their hands. And I was like, wow, that's a sign that makes me wonder. <laughs> I like signs and wonders. But the question is, what is it supposed to make you wonder about? And the reason, this is connected to what's happening here right now. And that's why I'm setting up this stage. At that moment, I started on a journey because these two Filipinos, they came the next day in the hallway. And that's when they said, will you father us? And I was like, I'm coming to the Philippines, I think in two years. I'm, I'm scheduled. And they said, no, we can't wait that long. It was Almira. She had that Jacob prayer. 
We need a father now. We've been orphaned with an orphan ministry. And we have orphanages called churches. And all of our missionaries are orphans. We are working. We are striving. We are stressing. But we don't see any fruits. We need a father's blessing. Please bless us. Tears flowing down the face. And in the hallway I went out. And I released the father's blessing. And at that moment something just shifted into with an orphan spirit Filipinos. And what I didn't realize in the gift they were about to be in my life, Paul, Yaron Almer, they became such a son and daughter to me. And they taught me to be such a son. And I started to be such a son to my spiritual papa, Jack Taylor. And he started to father me. And every single day since, for over, that's eight years that Papa Jack and I, we talk every day for the last eight years. But we started to live this life together. Because I want you to be connected now to one of the verses that I feel I want to impart here. But I want you to know the differences. And now let me just connect this. Because these two people they they suddenly now I had an opportunity I was in Seattle at Starbucks and then I got the invitation that was a dream in ministry it's like wow finally a door is open up this is TV book contract this could have opened up everything but with all the biggest superstar names in they called me and said would you come and speak and be one of the speakers here and that would have been five star hotel and first class bed on the plane and all the things you can dream of and the dove whispered and said Say no. And I'm like, say no. (laughs) And I'm thinking, is this the devil or is this? (laughs) But you need to understand that I had spent five months with no presence. I knew how it felt because it was hell on earth. It literally was to not have the presence of God. And I could have everything, beautiful wife, children, ministry, nice house, car. Nothing matter when you don't have his presence. And that's when I realized I want his presence. I want to host his presence. I don't want the visitation of the dove. I want habitation. I, 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 I don't want just a visitation. I don't want the dove just to visit. And then in the next moment after the meeting is over, I'm left with pigeon the rest of the week. Because the pigeon makes so much mess. And pigeon religion is very dangerous. (laughs) So in this setting uh, at Starbucks in Seattle, I said, sorry, but I cannot come. But we saw, we talked to your personal assistant. We saw you had uh, room in your schedule. Well, I'm not supposed to come. And later on, I was in Nashville with my son, Leif Emanuel, and and I got a call. Hello, Daddy Leif. Happy Father's Day. And I'm like, who is this? And say, don't you remember? We are the two Filipinos that you met at Hosanna Lutheran Church. You are our new daddy. <laughs> I had just given him a father's blessing. And I said, yes, but I didn't know what it meant. <laughs> now I'm getting phone calls on my cell phone. It's like, how did they get? Well, you are a daddy. I said, can you come to the Philippines? And I'm about to say, oh, no. I was like, and then the Holy Spirit say yes. <laughs> I don't want you to leave, but yes. <laughs> so I flew, drove from Huntsville, Alabama to Florence, Alabama. This is before I got upgraded and moved to Georgia. <laughs> 
And then flew from Huntsville to Atlanta. And then flew from Atlanta to Los Angeles. And then from Los Angeles to Tokyo. Tokyo to Manila with all the broken bones and pain and everything else. Sitting on coach in the back in the middle seat. But I remember what the Holy Spirit says. You don't have time for big conferences and meetings. But you will always have time for family. And something has shifted in me. And I realized to say no to the large income, large opportunity to the product sales and the book sales and all of those things. And then to fly across the world paying your own ways, paying for everybody. And then starts to pour your life into two Filipinos you didn't know. Uh, by the way, small is the new big in the kingdom. Out of this, this opportunity, I came over to the Philippines and, and I met two people finally. And we spent four days together just hanging out. We shared life. There was no agenda. I said, I, I don't want any big conferences or meeting anything else. By the fourth day, they said, we're going to have this anniversary of our ministry. And, and we have about 400 people gathering together. Could you also come and give them the love that we experience? Can they also experience the baptism of love? They've experienced the baptism of water. They've experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But they've never experienced the baptism of Papa's love. And they never experienced the immersion of love. Will love touch their root area like we experience in Minnesota? So could you come? And we went there and 400 people were gathering. And, and we spent time there. And I hugged and kissed and loved and released it. And 400 people ended up on the floor. Wind came into the building and started to knock over some of the speaker system. And I know that the angels can be like winds of fire. Whoa! But suddenly the atmosphere was changing. And when I left that very place, I had adopted 400 more sons and daughters. <laughs> One of the situations was they are poor. They didn't have any good jobs. They didn't have a whole lot of anything. And now God says, okay, now I want you to take those very ones. And I want you to, do, I want you to give them their identity back. They've been under religion, they've been under control, they've been under ma manipulation. And one of the first things I want you to do is to plant the tree of knowledge of good and evil back into their garden. Well, I thought you were supposed to remove it. No, plant it in the garden so they can have choices. Because if there's going to be love, there needs to be choices. And if you're going to get them to say no, it is because they have a big enough yes. I want you to remove away fear. I want you to create a culture that is changing culture. I want you to take some of those Filipinos in Los Banos in the middle of nowhere that nobody believes in. And I want you to raise up an army of world changer, of history makers out of them. And I can now, seven years or so, seven and a half years, I just came from there, tell the story about each one of them. I can talk about one who won the second place in Beijing, third place in London in the World Memorization Championship. You could take 1,000 numbers and he will memorize all the 1,000 numbers. You could take every person in this room, he will tell your name, you can tell your address when you're born and he will remember everybody here in this room and then he will say it backwards. You can put it even in numbers on each one of you and if you say you are number 50, he will pick up your name and tell everything about you just in, in, in once. Take a whole stack of cards and just look at it in the next moment. Uh, but he used to pick up trash a few years back. 
I can talk about Talbert, who had about $300 in his name that now his business had done $2 million so far last year. And I can talk about one in Singapore that went into a company there, changed the environment in a company, changed the education. I can talk about one who used to be a gay professor who's now changing the environment that is nominated one of the top 10 young Asian men. And I can tell story after story of all of those 400 people. And just recently in the Philippines on the national stage, many of my leaders there of those people who are up on the stage honored by the whole nation. Their music is being sung all over. And they're coming and traveling with me. And that's who you saw up on my video. I took him with me around the world. I took him to Africa. I took him to different places. I'm saying that God believes in you. Took just an ordinary group of people raised up a culture that is now changing culture. And right now they are fathering nations, leading revival in many nations around the world. And I got to experiment with them and give them their identity. Say identity. I was able to give them their dignity. Say dignity. And then to give them their dreams. Say dreams. Here is the little picture, if I use the 15 minutes to put this together, of the language that I feel is connected to the church. Here's where I feel that we have a dilemma. David himself, how many of you know King David? Wave to me. Okay, so I don't need to do a whole lot of explanation. I love King David and I'm a, I'm a student of his life because he is also a lover like me. He also have uh, some of these, in one moment, oh God, you are my God. And the next moment, why have you forsaken me? You read the Psalms, you could think he was bipolar sometimes. <laughs> but somehow, you see, God is so attracted to him. What is it that makes heaven so attracted to that guy? Could I just say a couple of kind of a gold nuggets there? First of all, one thing I thought about, David. Why is it when I'm looking at the sins of Saul, King Saul, because he was actually one that was anointed to be king. And by the way, I want you to know, if Saul hadn't become a yesterday's man, David wouldn't have been tomorrow's man. If he hadn't failed his assignment, David wouldn't have been given his assignment. And every crisis that we have about leadership vacuum, even including in this nation and in the kingdom, is actually a shift going on right now in the kingdom. And God is right now having a fresh anointing for tomorrow's people. The Saul system maybe have the buildings and the programs and the budgets, but the Davids has the anointing. They have the presence. They have the environment. But I want to share a few more things about him that fascinates me. Why is it that I've been asking God, why is it when you're looking at Saul? I mean, his sin seems so minor compared to David's. Why was the anointing, the dove taking away from Saul? And let me just tell you that. And that is because the sins he committed was against his assignment. While David was faithful to his assignment. He had some issues and character issues, but he was faithful to his assignment. And the anointing is connected to assignment. What you are assigned to do. What you are here on earth to do. That's connected to the anointing. I'm not saying that to excuse David. He repented and we know the story. But here's a couple of things I want to say. In like in 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 1 is a beautiful picture. Because here you have Samuel. Say Samuel. Samuel is a prophet and he is a today's man. Say today's man. He has a responsibility to recognize that Saul has an anointing. He's about to take the anointing from Saul and then put it on David. But my question is, why David? Why was David the one chosen? Why are you the one that is chosen? Why this church chosen? 
I'm interested in some of those things. With all of the 400 people that we started in that little community and now in 22 nations, we do have a culture, by the way, that is changing culture. What, what, what you're seeing up there, I could spend the whole evening showing you just how heaven is invading earth. It is not something we are dreaming about any longer. And it doesn't matter. I can take any one of them into this room and they will leak into the atmosphere. And it will change the temperature change if one sneaked into this room right now. Because they know how to host heaven. They know how to pull from heaven. They know how to go into the secret places, all of them. Because that's where they get their secrets. They have oil of intimacy with their lover. They are burning brightly without burning out. Because they are burning oil. They have learned how to be lambs on the inside. So they can be lying on the outside. When you meet them you maybe think they are very meek. and don't, But you are going to start to see when they roar. What comes out of them. There's a voice and they have found a voice. Have you found your voice? Have you found out who you are? And this is part of my heart and my desire in this season. But I'm just giving you. David lived in four places. Say four places. There was four primary places or stages in his life. The first place was Bethlehem. Say Bethlehem. Bethlehem was the stage in David's life when he learned how to be faithful in the natural. Say faithful in the natural. There's a lot of people in the body of Christ right now that is looking for the supernatural, but they've never been faithful in the natural. I, I just wanted to set a stage to where you are at and where you're going. But let me also give you a little bit about the journey and where we are coming from. Because before we get an upgrade and get promoted, David started by being faithful in the natural. And every single one of these are some of the kingdom principle that is for every single one in this room. So I'm not talking about something for any superstars. But every single one of us, we are supposed to be giant killers. Giant slayers. There's a giant slayer in each one of us. We're supposed to solve problems that are standing between us and our assignment. Any giants in this land, when you're reading the newspaper, watching the television, or what I'm seeing around, I get excited about it. Because it gives us an opportunity to dream with God and to change environment because of the environment that we're carrying. This is how we think as giant killers. And it doesn't matter how big the giant is. The question is, how big is God? Because when you're looking at how big he is, then you're starting to see how small your giant is. Including if I'm going into an area where the gospel has never been before. And you see that environment changing by the presence of God. But in Bethlehem, David, he learned how to be a shepherd. Taking care of his daddy's business, sheep. I mean, he's out there, but it was two things. Say two things. And I want us just to get this because this is very important. This is what I just gave to all of my 400 people as a basic Almost eight years ago. This spring it will be eight years ago. But here it is. First of all, David, while he is out there being faithful in the natural, if that was you working at McDonald's or Starbucks or wherever you are at as a car mechanic, if you, wherever you are stationed, there was two things he did. One of them, he had a harp. Say a harp. He had an instrument. And what I'm talking about, he was a worshiper. Say worshiper. But it was not just that he was a worshiper. He was also a warrior. Say warrior. He had a sling and some rocks. So what David was doing in two areas, he learned how to master. Say master. Two basic things while he was in the natural stage. So if you're going to be a burger flipper, you will be the best one in the world. 
and everybody will know how you flip those burgers, and it tastes better because you are touching them. I mean, if you have the understanding of that spirit of excellency that is upon people like you and I, that are His holy people, when you understand who you were before the foundation of the world, you know that this is just a training for reigning program. And you're right in the middle of it. And all we need to understand where you're at in the school. So here it is, the beautiful picture that I love with David. Because David, I can see him. I can see him there when there was a bear or when there was a lion. David, in the middle of all of that, he always had this perspective. And this is the basic that I wanted all of us to have. This is how we established that culture. And the last five minutes I was talking about the future. But here's how we established it. Every single one of you have an instrument. There's something that you have. You're a worshiper. You and your lover inside the secret places with him. When you take your heart, it is this one thing I desire. It is this one thing I long for. I just want to dwell in the presence of the Lord. I just want to gaze upon your beauty. I could see David when he was there. He's just like, whoa, Baba, show. He's just. If you go there for a few seconds, you'll be undone. You just, you just look up and everything else you look at looks differently. But that was David. I can see him there. So when he looked at the obstacle and he was faithful there because his assignment was to take care of his daddy in the natural sheep. If that was the sound, if that was to open up the door, somebody help him with a product, whatever it is in the natural, do not look past the way that people are serving and ministering and doing these small little details. So many people are looking for promotion, but I just want to honor you that the people that God are using is people that are learned first to be faithful in the natural. And it was all these things because you master yourself before you start to master other people. And it's a self-mastery. So that was the harp. And then it was the sling. I could see David. And I visualized it so many times. If it was the exit sign, he would stand here and throw and he would do this over and over again until he knew that he hundred out of hundred times could hit that same target. So now when there was a lion, now when there was a bear, there was in the front that was trying to do something with his daddy's business, his daddy's sheep. It was not just that he knew how big God is. We have a lot of people. We have found favor with God, but we don't have favor with men. Because we, don't, we have not developed our skill sets, the tools that is needed to solve the issues. And then you have people, they know how to solve issues, but they don't have favor with God. They don't know how to bring the environment and the presence of God in. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, favor with God and favor with men. And I'm saying that just to set the stage and we, let me just take a little bit more hurry through this. But Bethlehem is a stage where David went through and we know the story that eventually when he was anointed, that he went through and he saw all of the brothers when Samuel came in. None of them was qualified. Don't you have anybody else? Well, we got that uh, David, uh, the shepherd's boy. I mean, uh, can't be him. And that's my life. I, I don't know why God chose me, but I know that there were so many other people that he could have used and that would have been so much more qualified. But what I did is I volunteered. Many are called, but few are chosen. It's like when I just moved to Atlanta. 
And it was hot in the summertime. And they said, hey, people, would you come and help me? We, are going to, we have some big, heavy furniture, refrigerators. We're going to lift it. You can come. You're going to get free Coca-Cola and pizza. Join me. Many are called, but few raised their hand and was chosen. So it's not always that complicated theologically speaking. I think sometimes God just recognizes the heart. He uses the one that is available. The one that would do something about it. But here's just a couple of things that with David. David comes in and we know he gets the anointing. Now he has the anointing. But I want you to know many of us, we have the anointing. We have the promises. We have the prophetic words. We're part of an environment. But now we're starting this journey. And it is part of the training for reigning. How do you go from Bethlehem to learn to be faithful and unnatural to suddenly be entrusted with the things that is in heaven? And there's very few people that have it to host it here on earth. David killed a giant. And let me just tell you something. How many here would like to be a giant killer? Wave to me. If that is killing the giant of cancer or financial problem, whatever issues that is there. But I want you to know something. If you want to be a giant killer, let me just give you a couple of principles. One of them, you have to show up. There's a lot of people that would like to be giant killers, but they're never showing up. Second of all, if you want to be a giant killer, you need to make sure that you show up for the right battle. I know a lot of believers, they are fighting the wrong battles. And they're spending all of their energy on things that they are not called. It's not their assignment. They are not supposed to get distracted on the things that God has not called them to do. Make sure if you're going to be a giant killer, that you be yourself. Don't use somebody else's armor. Are you hearing me? Another thing, if you're going to be a giant killer, talk to the giant, not about the giant. And I could just go on and on, but I'm saying this. David himself, I'm writing a book that you can get online, ebook called Ground Rules for Killing Giant. There's a whole. But here's what I'm saying that we know the story. And other things, do not take on a giant without you negotiating beforehand. David was very, very good investor. Not to spend it. He said, okay, I, I, I know that this skill set. It's not just that I know how big God is, but I also know a little bit about business. So I am interested to find out what is the guy going to get that is going to be able to solve this issue. That's what he did. He could have solved that without that, but he negotiated a good deal. And for him, it was not just to know how big God is. He had a skill set that he knew that if I can hit that exit sign 100 times, what about the big forehead of this giant? So he had a competence and he had character to go together. Are you getting me? So competence and character went together. He was in the present. He knew how big God is. And whoever mocks this God. But he also had skill set to say, whatever is the problem here, I have the skill set to solve this. He had a confidence to go along with his competence. And it also went with character. But now I will move into the next past of the chapter. The good news, David became a giant killer. David solved the giant. And all over the land, the song was, David can do a thousand, excuse me, Saul can do a thousand, but David ten thousand. Do you remember the song? And all over the radio station in Israel, woo, the favorite song was there. Everybody had it on iTunes. 
And then suddenly, and here's what happens next. This is my journey. It is the journey of Joseph. It is the journey of Jesus. I can tell everybody on the journey. I'm just using David as an example of what did we do? What was the process to take us to where we are and where do we go? Second of all is Adullam. Say Adullam. The Adullam is, the, the name Adullam means justice of the people. That's what the name Adullam means. Adullam is the place where David, because of his faithfulness, because... He loved God. Because he solved the problem, jealousy came in. Attack was coming in. How many of you have experienced that? Right after your breakthrough, there is a breakdown. I think some of us, it is the battle you fight after the battle you won. Let me say that again. It is the battle you fight after the battle you won. Congratulations. It looks like a downgrade, but it's actually an upgrade. Your calling is to go to Zion. It's to be a king of a whole nation. And the school that we are going to go through, if we're going to rule and reign with what is in heaven here on earth. There is this training for reigning that we're going to go through. And the next place is called Adullam. Say Adullam. Adullam is the justice of the people. David ends up in a cave. And in the middle of all of that cave, you can read several of his psalms written there. But pretty much it's one of his darkest moments. That was my treatment center. That's when I wrestled with God and I won. I got pinned. I could no longer move myself. And there's a time in the life of anyone, if not you're just in Bethlehem. And what you have done is you have had a visitation of Zion. You have had a visitation of the future. You have had a visitation. And the reason God gives us a visitation of the future or prophecy and pictures or revival or something is just to give us a, a, a little room of a house that we're supposed to abide in. A little taste of the future so that we're willing to go through what we need in the present. So that we can learn eventually to create a culture that is changing culture. A place of habitation. That a kingdom template that we're placed upon that house. So we get visitations. And I'm glad for the visitation. I love visitation. I love every moment of encounter. But I realize and then here in Adullam in this cave. I mean, uh, this looks like a paradox. I mean, here I am. Broken neck, broken back, tumor, all those different things. I'm supposed to go to the nations. Here's the calling. 11 years on opiates. I'm supposed to be in a healing ministry. And I cannot walk. Cannot move. Adullam. But in a dullum is the place where you get your identity. Say identity. That's when your dignity is being restored. Say dignity and your dreams. So I want you to see, before it was finished there, David in the cave of Adullam, I can see the picture in the cave. And he starts to change the cave after a little while to become a palace because he is royalty. And then he starts to do something that is beautiful, and you can do it from this place. You starts to pull from heaven. And without GPS or without iPhone, he pulled 400 losers. Do you remember my story seven and a half years ago? 400. He brings 400 people, and I'm saying losers. They could be businessmen, this, that. But all I'm saying, they will all be beaten up by this world system out there. They are all out there looking for their identity. They are looking for their value. And they are looking for their dreams. They were distressed, depressed. First Samuel 22, you can read about it in the first verses. So they are all going through these horrific things. And they are all coming to David. And here is Adullam. Adullam means faithful in the middle of your needs. 
The first one is faithful in the natural, now faithful in the middle of your need. And how do you get faithful in the middle of your need when God sends you all these other people with needs? So while David is in his greatest needs, God sends him 400 other people with their greatest needs. That's how you solve it. But you are ready for the upgrade and the next place when you have suddenly changed from a man after God's own heart. You have created a culture after God's own heart. You have created a family. And 400 people, then you their instrument. One had a jawbone. You had 400 giant slayers. You had an army of mighty men. This is what God is doing in this season. The old season of the superstars and we build churches and ministry in the Dullam. That season is over. The season where orphans came to buy oil and people like us, we sold oil. That season is over. It still looks like it is working very well. But God is moving on. He is interesting in raising up a group of people. Because in Adullam, all the 400 guys that came was to see what I can get. How I can be blessed. How I can be touched. How... But the difference now, David is moving to Hebron. Say Hebron. Hebron is the place. Now you're moving into faithful in relationship, faithful in covenant. And this is where I wanted to end this whole thing because we're going to go to Zion. Are you getting something? This is important understanding the timing. So Hebron is a beautiful place. We're learning how to be faithful in covenant, faithful in relationship. The difference is if you are in Adullam, you will come in here to see what you can get. But if you are in Hebron, you're coming to see what can I give. If, if you are in Adullam, you're going to see, how can I be blessed? If you are in Hebron, you're coming in and say, who can I bless today? If, if you're in Adullam, you're coming in and say, I wonder if somebody's going to honor me. But if you are in Hebron, you're going to see, who can I honor? If you're in Adullam, you're going to see, how can somebody give me value? But if you're in Hebron, you already know you are valuable. You already have an A plus on your report card. You know your identity, you know your dignity, and you know your dreams. And part of that dream is to lift up other people, especially people in Adullam. You don't judge them because this is the process all of us have to be true. All I'm saying is that there's a shift that has taken place, including in this church, including in this community. This church is in Hebron. Blazing fire is in Hebron. David spent seven and a half years in Hebron. And what we're learning in Hebron is covenant relationship. How do we do covenant together? How do we do community together? How do we connect together? How do we learn how to lean hearts together? How do we know when the enemy is attacking one? He is attacking all of us because we are family. How do we pull from heaven together? How do we change an environment because of our environment? One can do a thousand, two, ten thousand. What could three, four hundred people do? And you can start to see it. It's a dream culture. And this is where you're at. Most of the churches today are either in Bethlehem and Adullam. And the churches, you can create mega churches. Like one of my friends says, I build a mega church without the Holy Spirit. All you do is meeting people's needs. Give me, touch me. It's like building a mega mall and you have enough shops to meet the individuals. But when you're coming in Adullam, you're maybe focusing on, I like that song. Now the question is not if you like the song, does God like the song? Because it is not for you, it's for him. I don't know if you're getting me. 
But this is very, very important because I'm interested. This is a little maturity, but I'm interested. How do we create a culture that is changing the culture? How do we create an environment that is changing the environment? I've been able to right now, I have a prototype, and we have something that is working. And if it works in the darkest Arab nations and Muslim nations of the world, don't tell me that there's too many religious spirit in California. You live under the open heaven. And God doesn't want to just have another visitation in Adullam and have another visitation. But he wants to create an environment here, a Hebron culture, where every single person that is coming into this room is valuable. That everybody that joins there is connecting heart to heart. Where you suddenly have a family account that everybody have access to. But you need to have a spirit of sonship. And it's a spirit, not a gender thing. That says, Abba, Papa, Father. What God is setting up in Hebron, seven and a half years in Hebron, David went to Zion. At that time, but I want you to think, we're going to think generational. Say generational. We're not going to focus on me, but I'm going to pay a price. And I want you to know, this is what scares me the most in our culture. And I'm settling with this, but what scares me the most, I'm part of this move of God's spirit. I'm fathering this radical group. Of, but I tell them something. Here's the scary part. We have all these people that are coming to eat from the table that somebody else has paid for. And the only reason we are playing, and even when I'm sensing the presence of God during worship, when I see it around in this room, I'm in awe of it. But you need to understand, I traveled all across the world for many years, standing in lines in South Africa, going to Brazil, standing in line if it was Toronto, Pensacola, wherever it was, because I wanted to have half of what we experienced here tonight. But if we're not careful, we don't take it for granted. Because if we do not honor what has been paid for, in the next moment what we do is we start to spend inheritance instead of investing it. We are saying what is the ceiling of our father has become the floor of sons and daughters. But what I am saying here is now sons and daughters that has been receiving this floor. What are you paying for so the next generation can be playing? Because if you can get three generations, we can change this city. We can change California and we can change the nation. Father, son, spirit, nations. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 12 nations. Elijah, Elijah, eh. He has I, not sonship, spending, taking, losing the generational blessings, and you couldn't transform society. This is what I would do if I were the devil. I'm just sensing that I hadn't planned to, I planned to just sharing my life message, but I felt that this is just setting up the stage of. We, we, the ones that has been with me, you know, from these days, my heart when I'm here is to invest here. I see something unique about you. I saw it. God is looking at you and he's very, very well pleased. The pleasure of the father is there. He's looking right now. He is more hungry to come down than you are for him to come. But he, is, he, he will not entrust himself to anything else than a family. The kingdom is a family business. And he's looking for somebody to know how to host heaven. A culture that will be able to sustain it. And the way it's going to be sustained is for each one of us. When we start to honor and know how to value. 
and we lose the spirit of entitlement when we are coming in here because it's very easy to see healing in a culture like this. There was actually healing angels in the room this evening. And if you even feel your body when you stand up in a couple of minutes, you're going to sense you're already healed. There's somebody with a couple tunnel on the right side here that was just healed. Somebody also with a rotary cuff that was healed. We're just in an environment, it's just happening. Healings is just happening. Left knee was just healed. The ankle on the right side was just healed. Just start to test it out. It's already happening. It's just happening in the present. It doesn't matter who prays for you any longer. It just matters that you are, whoa, because in Adullam, that was the whole thing. But now in Hebron, it is a healing community. It is a healing family. And if you even touch the hem of the garment, you're going to get healed. You don't even have to touch the body. That the immune system, that body is so healthy that if you're just becoming part of it, suddenly there's restoration taking place. It's a community where you can just be in an atmosphere and you lean your hearts towards a prodigal son. An atmosphere is changing. You're just taking your heart and you just lean it towards a broken relationship and it's being healed. You're just thinking of thoughts and it's already happening when you're getting this community to work in this. How do I know? Because I see it. And I believe that this is one of the 12 places. That's part of why I'm here. I call it an eagle's nest. That it's going to be a gathering place of eagles. And I'm not talking about just this building, but I'm talking about this community, this people. This is a family here, but there's also family of families around here connected to a community, covenant relationship. And what's going to happen, I mentioned it this morning, but I have to say it again, where you will get something that somebody else needs. But we need to learn how to honor. So here is the very thing is the supernatural, the giftings. The, people are going like to Bethel, Reading. I've talked to several of my friends and all of them are my friends there. And I love and I honor them and, and I have so much respect. I remember about four years ago, I was sitting by the side of Bill and Chris. I was speaking in a conference and the Holy Spirit convicted me because I was heading to the bookstore and they always give me all these products. And I was going to go there and to, they were going to give me all these products. And God says, I don't want you to receive anything. I want you to see what is it that I have given you that you can add value to this culture because no longer can you come and just take. You have to see when you're coming to the family table, what is your special sauce? What is it that you're carrying to the family table today? So when you are coming in, each one of you are very valuable. Each one of you are carrying something. And when we're coming here, we're coming with a gift. We're coming with ourselves. We're coming here with something on a big family meal. And as you're doing that, other people get to taste the ingredients of that meal that you have prepared. And that is spices of pain that you've gone through that other people don't have to go through because they get to taste of that. But you will have access to some of the other plates that is there on a big family table. And fullness will start to be an expression instead of measure. The father is restoring his family. It started with a father, with a son, and with a spirit. And it ends with a family represented from every nation, tongue, tribe, language, stand before the throne. Jesus was restored to the first reformation, 1517. Holy Spirit was restored through the Second Reformation. I know they've always been around Azusa Street, 1906. But right now, the Father is being restored through the Agape Reformation. And when you have the fathers turn towards the children, children towards the fathers, that's going to stop the curse in the land. Unless I smite the earth with a curse. Family is being restored to stop the curse that is in the land. 
poverty, pain. We're hearing about the trafficking, all of those different things. This is the very solution for all of those problems. It is a kingdom family culture that can host heaven, that know how to bring in the presence of God and change environment wherever we're at because of this environment has changed. People that has been in the secret chambers and they have secrets and they don't do a secret conference right afterwards to sell the oil. You have been entrusted. The Father's pleasure is over you. I'm here because I could have been in a mega church right now with a very large audience. And they're my friends. I'm there usually this time every year. There's several places. I have to say no to at least nine places for everyone I say yes. But I'm here because there is an assignment for me to be here because God believes in you. I know you believe in him, but God believes in you. And he's looking for prototypes. And here's the last thing, John 17, 26. This is what we're going to see now being fulfilled. Father, Father, I have declared your name among them. And that's also going to be one of our four things that's connected to the heart revival. Is declaring the Father among them. Everybody's going to see who Papa is. Father, I have declared your name among them. And then he says, and I will continue to declare it. And then he says something, that the very love, Father, that you have towards me, that very perfect love, that, that love that I've experienced from eternity past, that love that we have had, and we, whoa, that love that is so great that you sent me to come down here to this earth. This very love that, wow, why I was perfectly willing to become sin so they could be righteous. I became shamed so they could be glorified. I became sick so by my stripes they are healed. I became this kind of a love, Papa, that you have. The father has dreams, but the son has vision. The old dream dreams and the young see vision. And that's the family culture. And that is when we're suddenly tapping in the father's dreams. And I'm talking about fathers and mothers, no gender in my way of thinking. Sons and daughters, they have vision. Sons and daughters grows into mature and they become fathers and mothers. Now they will have sons and daughters that will lift up theirs. And if you can get three generations, we can transform America and we can transform this nation. And now you will have all of the things, this generational blessing that will start to flow, that will destroy the curses that is in the land. I'm here as a Norwegian. Then I was just pleading to you. And I'm asking you for this time and this season to be part of something bigger than yourself. To be part of a kingdom family, a kingdom culture that is changing culture. A dream culture where everybody can dream with God. A place where everybody knows who they are and whose they are. A place where we have a high value for people. A place where we love people without any agenda. There's no hook. place where all of the people we know our instrument when we come together we all come before him with our instrument and we change environments and then because of that environment changing us we all have skill set and tools and we can solve the giants that is around us when we have this in place he's taking us to Zion your kingdom come your kingdom come my papa your papa 
our Father. We honor your name. We're going to see your kingdom come. We're going to see your will be done right here, right now, in my life, in my marriage, in my children, in my finances, in our health, in our community, in California, in America, what's in heaven on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. Father, I have declared your name among them, and I will declare it, that the very love, Father, that you have towards me, that love, that love is going to be in them, in you, in me. That love is going to. It's the only unanswered prayer of Jesus that is going to be fulfilled in this season. And when that starts to take place, that perfect love that is between a father and a son, but also the son and the father, when that love starts to flow among us, the world is going to see we're his disciple because the way we love one another. Let's stand to our feet. Father, I just, uh, I just wanted to say, Abba, Baba, whoa, Baba. There it is. Just, you're going to feel it's like a weight. <laughs> it's just a little bit of his glory. <laughs> just hold out your hands and just feel it. Father, I just want to release right now this very prayer. And I'm sharing you the story. This is a true story. And I land, land with this while we're standing here. For seven and a half years, I've been drilling for one verse, and that was John 17, 26. And I'm in Pakistan a little over a year ago, and I'm there in a very horrific setting, and one of the top connected to Wahhabism, that's the stream of Saudi Arabia and many of the other Muslims, that is top Muslim clergy, and imam had invited me to come to the headquarter, and me and Dr. Bob Phillips and J.R., some other key leaders in America, was with me, and we were there, but he was so saddened, and his face was just very dark and it, it looked like a dark cloud. And I asked him, what's wrong? And I can't mention his name because I'm online right now. And he said, well, my son, he, he got electrocuted and he's in a hospital. He broke his neck. He's quadriplegic, but he's been in coma for over two months. And I asked him, he said, okay, if I can pray right here. And I mentioned his name, this top. This is the radical stream of Islam. And I prayed there, but... I wish I could have told you that something happened. It, it, it didn't. And uh, so I said, could I go to the hospital? And I had favor in my favor cards in my pocket. I asked, could I go and visit your son? I just would love to pray. And the father took me and our team waited outside. And with guards and machine guns, we went into the hospital room. And I sat with him there. And, and I, I could feel the presence of God. But I didn't see any change. Nothing happened in that room. And I just was so broken in my heart. And I don't know, I feel these, uh, my face is leaking, but it was leaking then too. It's just that John 7. But, for, but you need to remember, for, for seven and a half years, I've been studying one verse. Not the chapter, not the book. It's just to get the nutrients. How does it look like that perfect love that is between a father and a son? How does it look like between a son and a father? How does that look like and be manifested when it leaks into an atmosphere? I, I mean, I just... But I still had not got it. Well, actually, I had got it. It has not got me. It has not become me yet. And that very day, we went back again to Islamabad, and we sat at the Marriott Hotel at the breakfast table. And I was just so overwhelmed. And then suddenly, when I sat there, 
I started to feel this again. I felt uh, lean my heart towards this top imam, and I just could sense the hopelessness and the helplessness. And I was just thinking about it, and the Holy Spirit just showed up, and he said, would you take the only son you have, Leif Emanuel? I have only one son. We're going to New York City on Tuesday together, me and my son, and I, I miss him a lot. And I've been gone too much, 230 days a year all over the world and been away. But would you take your only son and would you let him be quadriplegic and be a vegetable for the rest of his life so this radical imam's son can be healed? The voice came again, would you take your only son and would you trade places with him? And it happened again and I knew it was God. And I was like, God... I need to be honest, I don't know how to love this way. Would you take the worst terrorist and take the most loving person that you know and sacrifice that for the Barabbas free and your only begotten son Jesus become guilty? Papa, that kind of a love is going to be the love you're talking about that's going to be in each one of us? I don't know if you're getting it. So I sat there and I said, I don't know how to love that way and I want you to know that it's impossible to give something that you have not received. So I sat and I just, and then in the next moment, these waves of liquid love just came over me. And I was just sitting there, waves and waves of love. And I just wept and I wept. And I don't even do that in, in this context because you're not, I'm sitting at the breakfast table with all these top leaders around and I'm just weeping and people don't know the encounter and people say, what's wrong? And I, I couldn't even talk about it. And less than 20 minutes afterwards, this top imam called me and he said, well, where's Dr. Leaf? My name is Leif, by the way, but he called me Dr. Leif. <laughs> Dr. Leif, uh, do you know where you're at? He's asked to talk, my coordinator in Urdu. And he said, because uh, I, I saw him. I swear to Allah, I saw him. He's in a totally different city on another part of the country. So while I'm sitting there and getting one drop in the bucket of this love, suddenly in the next moment I appear before this imam. Something has totally changed about him that has opened up 30-some nations including a lot of the national leadership. He calls over to the hospital and his son is taking a ventilator. And, and I'm just asking you, could it be that when with that kind of a love, the love that the father has towards the son, when that love, John 17, 26, when that love starts to flow in our hearts and we start to lean people with that kind of a love, that how are we going to change this world and this nation? Father, I just want to release that impartation right now. Father, Father, I have declared your name among them. Father, I have declared your name. Declare your name, Papa. Your name, Daddy. Whoa, the very love, Papa. The very love, Father, that you have loved your son, Jesus. But also the very love that, whoa, Jesus has towards his Father. That perfect love. Looking at the cross. Looking at the cross and seeing. Heli, Heli, Lama, Sabatani. Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? For the first time from eternity past, the son was separated from his father so that we could be reconnected, so we could connect again with Papa, with the Father, a God of love, a God that loved us so much that he gave, that he gave his only begotten son. So whoever believes and receives, should not perish, but they're going to have everlasting life. This is the message of the wall. This is what's going to change the world. This is the tsunami wave of love that is about to sweep the world.
that's going to sweep right now. And it starts to sweep into our hearts. So we're saying yes. Say we're saying yes. We're receiving your love, Papa. Love on us in a way we've never been loved before. Let your love go deeper. Just start to ask him. And now waves is starting to start to come over you. There's a love there. Whoa. Just start to release waves. Just start to release waves. 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 Pouring over you. Pouring over you. Over and over. Over and over. Over and over again. It's another way. There's always one more wave coming. That's my love for you. That's my love for you. So just receive. There's nothing you have to do. Just receive. Receive my love for you. Delight in you. 
Father, we say yes to going to the places that we get to go with you, the places that you've designed as a father for your family. We say yes, God. We're saying yes, Father. Use us as a prototype. Take our hearts, God, mold them the way you want to, not just as individuals, but as a family together. Mold our hearts together, God. We give you permission. Before we, I release you to minister, I want to also just pray another blessing over life. Father, we just thank you for life. We thank you for the tenderness of his heart. Thank you, Father, for this son of yours who you would not leave along the way. You said, you're my choice no matter what. And we ask you, God, we ask God that no matter what you've used life for to this point, that there would be an increased fruitfulness in his life even more than he could imagine in his wildest dreams. And Father, everything that he has poured out here, we're asking God to pour back into him with interest over he and his family. In Jesus' name. So if you want prayer, I invite you to come up to receive 
maybe it's just maybe it's just wanting the love of the Father. This team knows how to pray that for you, just to receive the love of, of your Father. Another way of my father's love. 